Archie's first semester of teaching solo at North Park University went really well. He'd started out as a guest lecturer and a storyteller, and then he began hosting storytelling events and workshops, and eventually he co-taught with a professor who was a mutual friend of ours. And then, once Archie got his MFA, he got his own class. And when the student assessments came back, they were fantastic. Off the charts is what his department head said. His academic career was like taking off. And he said that he felt the fact that he was making it happen at a Christian university, he said it felt odd, but it felt redemptive. As a queer person of color raised by Buddhist Buddhist family members, many of his encounters with Christians had included judgments and attempts at conversion. At North Park, he said, he'd started to experience the loving and charitable and service-oriented side of the religion. And by the end of his first solo teaching semester, he wondered if Jesus and Buddha could live side by side in his heart. And then he got the email. I'm sorry I've been told I'm not to hire you back for another semester. Phrases jumped out at him, non-missional fit, inappropriate web content. I mean, Archie is an outrageous and hilarious and outspoken storyteller. He's dramatic and like more than a little histrionic. He has a one-man show called The Boy and the Diva, you know, so he's like a big personality. His stories include stories about waiting tables at a restaurant in the Loop, and about his cat, and about his Thai mom, and about interracial dating, and about his sexuality, and about sex, and about sexual assault that he's experienced. Some of his stories, especially that last one, are hard to hear. They're difficult stories. They're hard to hear, and they are also healing. In fact, the story about sexual assault, he was specifically asked to tell that story at a chapel service at North Park for 300 students. It wasn't until a big North Park donor stumbled onto Archie's online presence that the trouble started. It was the donor who thought he was a non-missional fit. It was the donor who thought he had inappropriate web content. And what, said the administration, could they do? It was really disappointing, said the director of his department. Sure, you could meet with the donor and try to explain, said the deans that Archie met with. But you're not going to be able to explain it to everyone. At that meeting with the deans, our mutual friend, the professor, sat with Archie. And under the table, she held his hand. The story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman shows up in two places in the Gospels. It's here in Matthew and it's in Mark. In Mark, she's called Syrophoenician. But in both, to the ancient readers and hearers of the story, it means the same thing. She's not one of us. She's not one of Jesus' people. She's pagan. She worships other gods, if at all. Who even knows what she does? She's not Jewish. In Matthew, in our version... Her story comes right after a dense theological conversation about what is ritually pure? What is ritually unclean? What makes a true follower of the tradition? And then rolling into her story, ancient readers and listeners of the story know exactly which side of the divide she's on. And so at the beginning of her story does Jesus. 
My Jesus, my Jesus, about whom my favorite thing is that he encounters person after person with compassion. Even people he's not supposed to talk to or to touch, he stops and he greets them with respect and love and asks what they need. My Jesus, in this story, hears the woman call out. He hears her crying out the name that many other people call out from roadsides. Seeking him, seeking his compassion, his kindness. Hearing her shout that her daughter is tormented, my Jesus did not answer her at all. He did not answer her at all. And his disciples urged him, oh, not to answer her. His disciples urged him saying, send her away, she keeps shouting at us. My Jesus knows exactly which side of the divide this woman is on, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, not, in other words, to some Canaanite woman, not, in other words, for her little daughter. That's the language Mark uses, her little daughter who's sick. The Canaanite woman is outspoken, to say the least. I mean, she started out yelling. And now that Jesus has said this asinine thing about the lost sheep of Israel, I imagine him kind of staring off into the distance, not even making eye contact with her. My Jesus, who makes such good eye contact with so many different kinds of people, now that Jesus has said this thing, she goes all histrionic on him, and she drops to her knees in front of him and starts pleading. My Jesus, who is uniquely connected with God, My Jesus, the word who was in the beginning with God, who was God, who was the light coming into the world that is breaking over all people. My Jesus, who is both inside and outside of time, answers squarely from within his own context, from within his own time, his own place, his own people. He's not even original. He picks up a slur they've got laying around, inherited, and he calls her a dog. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. There are people who translate all this to mean that Jesus is testing her faith, seeing how much she really believes that before he'll heal her little daughter, he wants some kind of litmus test. Does she believe? Does she believe the right thing? Does she believe enough? Yes, bing. Her daughter gets healed. Her faith gets rewarded. I don't buy it. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, and the woman says, yes, and even the dogs get the crumbs, even the ritually unclean dogs. When Archie left the meeting with the deans, he said he was both sad and livid that even at a Christian university, money was being used as a way to wield power to the detriment of the students and the marginalized. Archie Jamjun, whose permission I have to tell you this story, it's a public story. Archie Jamjun is never going to be Christian. He doesn't want to be. That's not his goal. Archie, by his very life and witness and storytelling at North Park and in the world, is teaching Christians who we're supposed to be. You're going to let money outweigh the well-being of students? Archie said, you know, I'm a person who students who are queer can talk to. Who do you have on campus right now who's going to do that if you don't hire me back? 
Archie teaching Christians who we're supposed to be, not loving money, but people, especially the young, especially the vulnerable, especially the oppressed. The Canaanite woman reminded Jesus, taught him who he was supposed to be about. Because Jesus' mission wasn't even that new. God has always been on the side of the oppressed, the marginalized. She reminded Jesus, or maybe taught him, that his ministry was broader. Reminded him, or maybe taught him, that his ministry was for all people, including, yes, those outside the house of Israel. The story that the donor found online was, yes, Archie said, a difficult story. Hard words. It was the truth, it's what he experienced. The deans that he sat with at a Christian university weren't as capable of change and learning as Jesus was. I mean, Jesus. Archie said, I was proud to share my experiences and stories with the people of Chicago and the campus itself. It was a way to put myself out there and show others, Christian students especially, that being out and open was a strength, not a weakness. That's Archie's mission, his goal. The word homosexual didn't appear in the Bible until, in English translations, until, like 18, until the 1940s. When you look at the history of translation, the way that we have interpreted seven or eight words that we now think allude to homosexuality, have, those words have changed radically. For many centuries, they alluded to pedophilia. There's a word that just means soft that gets used in the New Testament. There's a word that means effeminate. Do we believe that effeminate people are an abomination? Seems like a stretch. The translations changed in accordance with the cultures that were doing the work of translation. There's a German translation of the Bible where the word homosexual didn't show up until 1983. That translation was funded by Americans. Something going on, maybe. People who translate the Bible, either for their job from the Greek and Hebrew, people who translate from the Bible either in languages or the way we translate it here as a people, the people who translate the Bible live in and are influenced by their culture. If Jesus himself couldn't escape it, how can we? How can we know to what we are blind? I think it's got to be the Holy Spirit because I wonder how, how we can open our eyes and look for our teachers, how we can open our ears and listen to those who are already shouting in our direction, answering, asking questions that we have not been answering at all. And I'm not saying that we should look for and listen for people and ask them to teach us. It's not their job to teach us. But it's our work to see and listen and learn about our blind spots. And there are many, many people who, by merit of who they are, can teach the church where we are wrongly drawing dividing lines. There are many, many people who the church has rejected who, by merit of their refusal to be dismissed simply as human beings, 
can show the church where we are acting from a place of cultural bias, of prejudice, of racism, of homophobia. Yes, beloved, even us. Who isn't here this morning? And why not? First Christmas Eve that Vince and I were here, we'd only been pastors here for just over two months. And we both came from very different churches. My church filled to the rafters with about 350 people on Christmas Eve. And Vince's was a church of like 900 people on a Sunday morning. And when church council said, oh, our Christmas Eve services are big, we were like, all right, how many bulletins should we print? Like 80, 100? And council was like, I mean, not 40. That'd be good. And we were like, oh, okay. Okay, we're going to do Christmas Eve, and we did the thing that we do now, where we have the empty crush up here, and the kids bring up different animals and figures, and they populate the story, and it's just Christmas Eve. It's just the story, right? We think done well, enjoyably. Neighbors come. A lot of y'all aren't here. It's a church service full of people we don't know. It's just regular. It's just regular church. And that night, Archie and his boyfriend Jeremy showed up. And I was so surprised. I mean, I hadn't mentioned it to anyone. I hadn't sort of advertised it. I hadn't invited Archie, for example. Archie and Jeremy came, and they, you know, sang along in the bulletin and looked around and followed instructions. You know, we're standing up now. We're sitting down. Okay. And on their way out the door, Archie said, this is the first Christmas Eve service I've been to. Thanks. Normally, we just go out for dinner. I mean, we're going to now. But thanks, he said. I guess now I know the Christmas story. Archie's not going to come to church here. He's never been back. That's not his mission. We have made, I want to honor what's been done, we have made, we are making a place, a church for all kinds of people. And there is much more to be done. Much more that we cannot even yet see or hear. There are more people, many more people, some of whom, if we listen, will teach us how to be who we ought to be.